Today in the world in which you and I live, God is in control. We are not in control. Can I say that again? We are not in control. The government is not in control. The kingdoms of this world are not in control. Russia is not in control. Israel is not in control. No matter where you're from or where you think about, I want you to know only God is in control. And that means you are not in control. You are not. You may think you are. You may think that I'm in control of my life, but you are not in control at all. I'd like for you to turn in your Bible, if you would, to Exodus, Exodus, the third chapter, Exodus, the third chapter, and we kind of uh, started a series last week, and uh, uh, it's called the I Am series, and we're going to cover this series all the way up through Easter, even actually past Easter, because Jesus said, I am coming again, and uh, so we'll go past Easter, but we're going to cover this series called I Am, and you're going to hear from different people. You're not going to just hear from me during this series. You're going to hear from different ones during this series. Uh, series. And last week, we had the privilege, and what an opportunity, wonderful opportunity we had to hear last week uh, from Brad Miller and his story, how that he had an encounter with God. And it's amazing that when you and I go through difficult times, it's amazing that's usually when we have our encounter with God. You know, it's either when we hit rock bottom or when we're going through a difficult time in our life. And uh, I know every time, every time in my life that I was at a pivotal point, at a pivotal moment in my life, and I knew that I needed to hear from God, God just somehow, and God has always been there. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He's always there to the end of the age or to the end of the world. And so God is always there. He's always listening. He's always with you. But there's moments in your life you just need to have a special encounter with God that changes everything everything. Even in, in the moment of salvation, God changes everything. But there are moments in your life you need to have an encounter with God that will forever change your life. And to me, that's happened several times in my life, and I know it's happened to other individuals. Well, today we're going to read a story about an account in the life of Moses, in the life of Moses. And going to give you just a little bit of background, then we're going to read from Exodus, the third chapter, verses 1 through 14, I believe it is, or 15. And we're going to read from there, and then we're going to kind of talk about what Moses discovered, or what God revealed, I, say, I should say, what God revealed to Moses. So in Exodus 3, we have, the, we have the account of the life of Moses, a man, a man who had been raised in the finest palaces of Egypt, who had eaten the best foods and intended, attended the best schools. But there came a moment in his life when he had to flee Egypt. And the reason that he had to flee Egypt was because he was afraid of Pharaoh, even though he was raised up in Pharaoh's house. And even though he was taught by Pharaoh, there came a time in Moses' life when he had to flee because he was afraid of Pharaoh because Moses had killed an Egyptian. Moses had killed an Egyptian. You know, it's amazing to me that God uses people who have a past. Now, I don't know about you, but yeah, I do. You're much like me. We all have a past. But I don't care what your past has been. God has a plan for your future. And God wants to use you in a very unique and special way to bring hope, not only to you, but to the world. And so he kills an redemption. And so we're going to discover that it is here when Moses driven from Egypt... Moses now met this young lady named Zipporah. He married Zipporah, which is, a, 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 I think she was a, a, an inhabitant of Median. He married Zipporah. He has a son. And Moses has been working for his father-in-law. Imagine that. 
He has been working for his father-in-law for 40 years. I love my father-in-law. Well, I better stop there. (laughs) So he's working for his father-in-law for 40 years. And at the age of 80, he's been attending sheep. Attending sheep for 40 years. And now he's at 80. And he goes goes up to a mountain called Mount Horeb. Or it's called the mountain of God. Or another name for it is Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb. It's called the mountain of God. And there on the mountain of God, on Mount Sinai, God begins to manifest himself to Moses. An 80-year-old man. There is hope for me. An 80-year-old man. And God begins to manifest himself to Moses through A burning bush. And it is through this manifestation of God's presence, of God's power, and God begins to speak to him through this burning bush that Moses' life is forever changed. Now, I'm going to tell you today, God speaks in different ways. He spoke to the prophet through visions and dreams. He spoke to Balaam. Through a donkey. And now we find that, or before that, we find that God is speaking to Moses through a burning bush. So I want us to read the account. Now Moses was attending the flock of Jephro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him. Notice that. He saw the angel of the Lord. And God called to him from in the bush, from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, I don't know if I would have responded like Moses. But the Bible says, and Moses said, here I am. I may have run. (laughs) Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people, Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. Notice that. God is concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. 
I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. I am who I am. Now, in verse 14, God gives Moses the name of who he is. So he can share it with the Israelites. Now, I want you to know something about names. Names are important. Can I say that again? Names are important. Names carry power. Names can create joy. Names can bring about hope. Names can bring about despair. Think about the different emotions or thoughts that stir in you when you hear different names. I mean, think about it. When you hear your son or your daughter's name, does it not stir emotions? When you hear their name Cameron and he is applauded and given an award, does it not stir your heart, Jennifer and Ron? Yeah. Man, you just kind of, that's my son. Amen. Yeah. Oh, Nana back there. Yeah. Amen. I mean, I, I love it. Name, it, it, it does something to you emotionally. Names are powerful. And, they, and think about the emotion. I mean, when you hear the name Abraham Lincoln, what, what do you feel? What do you feel when you hear the name Mother Teresa? What do you hear or what do you feel when you hear the name Saddam Hussein? What do you feel when you hear the name Hitler or today Putin? I don't know about you, but I feel anger. I'm just going to be honest. The emotions. When you hear the name Michael Jordan, Babe Ruth, Billy Graham, or the name Jesus Christ. What kind of emotions do they bring up in you? I mean, names are important. I mean, remember the phrase that in my generation, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Yeah, right. How many of you have ever been called four eyes? I got four eyes. How many of you have ever been called stupid? How does that make you feel? How many of you have ever been called fat or toothpick? I've never been called toothpick, but anyway. <laughs> I mean, the emotions. And, and, and think about that. The names that we've called people. And names in general are important. And our name, your name, is important. Our names matter to us. Our name means something to you and I. Even though we didn't get to choose our names, it's still our name. They carry value. They carry meaning. And think about the time someone has forgotten your name. Who you thought should have remembered your name. I had that happen Friday. I'm coming home from Charleston, South Carolina, and I get a text and says, hey, I'm, Re I'm Rita Franklin. Do you remember me? I'm driving, so I'm pausing, and I'm thinking, Rita Franklin, Rita Franklin. And finally, probably after a while, I responded, and I said, no, I'm sorry. I don't know who you are. And a little bit, she responded back. She says, and she told me who she was. And, and then I remembered who she was. Now, I can only imagine how that made her feel, feel that I didn't remember her name. And, and um, anyway, it's a long story. I won't go into it. And I didn't remember her name. And, and, but, you know, I, I'm telling you, there's an emotion attached to your name that when someone forgets your name, there's an emotion 
that's attached to it. I mean, it's not like someone forgetting the bread. I mean, if you say, well, I went to the store and forgot the bread, that ain't no big deal. There's nothing emotional about that. That's just something that goes on in your brain and you forgot. And the same thing happens when we forget somebody's name. It, it, there, there's nothing. We just, we just forgot who you were. We just forgot your name, you know. And, and, and there's nothing to it. But there's an emotion attached to it because all of a sudden you feel devalued. You feel less important. You feel like, I must not have left much of an impression on them and they forgot who I was. It's just human nature. You see, your name not only represents you, but to a degree, it's who you are. And this is especially true in ancient cultures. In ancient cultures, names were extremely important. Names were seen as very, being very distinctive or very descriptive of not only who people are, but also who they were meant to become. In ancient culture, names designated meaning, purpose, character, and destiny. And this is seen in Scripture. When Abraham received the promise of God from God that he would be the father of many nations, his name was changed from Abram to Abraham, meaning what? Father of many. When Abraham and Sarah, at the age of 90, were told, you're going to conceive and have a son, what did Sarah do? Sarah laughed. You're kidding me. I'm beyond childbearing. You, and she laughed. She laughed at the angel. And then when, sure enough, she gets pregnant, and she has Isaac, what does she name? She names her son Isaac. What does Isaac mean? Laughter. It designated, it meant something. And years later, when Isaac's son Jacob wrestled with God by the river Jabbok, God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, which means he who struggles. You see, names were important in ancient cultures. Our own names are important to us. And names are important throughout scriptures. And so as we study and experience some of the names of God that God uses to refer to himself in the Bible, you and I are being given a tremendous gift in telling us his self-designated names. God is sharing some deep and personal characteristics about himself to you and I. He's helping us to grow and grow more and more in understanding who he is and who he created us to be in relationship with him. For example, if God calls himself the provider, you can bank that he will provide for every need in your life. If he calls himself the healer, Jehovah Rapha, the healer, you can be sure that God has the power to heal. You know, whatever name you give God, whatever name God designates to himself, I'm telling you, if you call him Abba, Father, Abba, Father, if you call him Daddy, Father, what he's saying to you, you can assure that he loves you as a child. And he always will love you, no matter what. He loves you. Abba, Father. Well, I, I want us to look at this for a moment. In sharing the names of God with us, God is helping to encounter him, understand him, experience him personally. You see, the Hebrew people, there was one name for God. There was one name for God in the Bible that stood above every other name. And it is the name that God tells Moses, I am who I am. That was the name that described God. And the Hebrew people revered that name so much that they would not even speak it because they were afraid to take God's name in vain. And it's the name that we call YHWH. We say it in the Hebrew, Yahweh. I mean, in the English, 
Yahweh. There are no vowels in the Hebrew language. And so you had, well, they had uh, points, points of, of expression or abbrevi- uh, not expression, what's the word I'm looking for? But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. And they didn't have values, and so there was Yahweh. And it was like breathing. Yahweh. Breathing. Breathing out the name of God. I am who I am. In other words, God simply is. No matter what you think of God, no matter how you respond to God, no matter what we believe about God, God is who God is. And God's personality and, and, and power are intact in and of themselves. There was no creative influence outside of God that helped God, helped bring God into being. God simply is, always has been, and always will be. God is. I am who I am. Now, you say, where are you going with this, Randy? You see, at the foundation of every religion in the world, there is a belief that there is a higher being or a higher God. No matter what kind of religion you can think of, whether Christianity, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, or any other type of religion that may be less known, no matter what religion you are talking about, all religions begin with the basic fundamental concept of the existence of God. Some religions believe that there are many gods, and still others claim that you can be God. But no matter what the faith, before any other part of theology or doctrine can ever be discussed, the doctrine of God must be established. You see, God, the existence of God is the most important concept of your faith. You've got to believe that God is, that God exists, that God is. I am who I am. Whether you believe it or not, God is. Whether you accept it or not, God is. Whether you believe what you believe, God is. God is. And so he tells Moses, you tell them, I am who I am. That's who I am. I'm Yahweh. I'm the self-existing one. I've always been, I will always be, and I never was created. You see, now there are a lot of important things that we can learn from this truth about God. But today I want to focus on one thing. Maybe two, but one. Mostly. And I think this truth about the name of Yahweh is probably the most important thing that we need to think about in our daily living. Put simply, we learn from God's name that God is sovereign. Did you hear me? God is sovereign. What does that mean? God is in control. Today in the world in which you and I live, God is in control. We are not in control. Can I say that again? We are not in control. The government is not in control. The kingdoms of this world are not in control. Russia is not in control. Israel is not in control. No matter where you're from or where you think about, I want you to know only God is in control. And that means you are not in control. You are not. You may think you are. You may think that I'm in control of my life, but you are not in control at all. Now follow me. This is important. And this is going to be a lesson you and I might find hard to accept. I mean, we like to think that our destiny, my destiny, is in my hands. And to a certain extent, we do have a part to play. The decisions we make, the words we say, 
the actions we choose to participate in, these do have a bearing on what happens to us. How we choose to live does make a difference. Okay? Now follow me. How we choose to live does make a difference. But I think we usually misunderstand this control issue is that we want to pick and choose the times when we are in control. For example, as long as things are going well, we like to think that we are the ones that made it possible. When my career is going well, we like to think the one, we like to think that we are the ones that pursued our education, we got the right training, we worked long hours, and we made the right decisions. We deserve to make the kind of money that we make. We deserve to drive the kind of car that we drive. We deserve to live in the house that, that, that we live in because of the fruit of our labor. I mean, after all, we're the ones that made it happen, didn't we? So why shouldn't we enjoy the fruits of our labor? You know, and there's something to be said of that. But what happens when the tide turns? What happens when the economy downsizes and you lose your job? What happens when your career tanks out all of a sudden and, and it crashes or whatever and the, the company goes out of business? And you get laid off. Or what happens when things begin to fall apart and tear up? Instead of taking the responsibility, instead of saying, oh, look what I did, we want to blame someone else. It's the company's fault that I'm out of work. It's the company's fault that they picked someone over me. I didn't get the promotion because someone who wasn't qualified for, uh, as I am got the job that I should have got. And we want to blame someone. Oh, when we get laid off, we want to blame someone. It's the economy's fault. We want to be in charge and control when things are going good. But when things turn sour and go kind of on the downside, we often want to do the blame thing. Well, it's God's fault. It's my employer's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my coworker's fault. It's someone else's fault. It's my spouse's fault. You see, we like to be in control, all right, when things are going well. But when things aren't going well, we always want someone else to take the blame. Some have already learned an important dis distinction, that there is a difference between responsibility and control. You and I are responsible for our actions. We are responsible for our words. We are responsible for the things we say and do, but we are not in control. Did you get it? Now, at first, that seems to be a little unfair. If God is going to hold me responsible for the things that I say and I do, then God should let me be in control. I mean, after all, if I'm going to be held responsible for the things that I say and my actions and the things I do, then God should let me be in control. That's not reasonable thinking, but that's our thinking. But the amazing thing is, God loves you too much to let you be in control. You see, God being in control is one of the greatest gifts that you and I have. Because as much as we would like to think that I can do a fine job of running my own life, the truth is that God knows better than I do. Because God created me. God created you. God knows how to run your life better than you know how to run your life. 
And so God doesn't let us be in control. We have responsibility, but God is in control. So my prayer today is that you will discover this distinction. God is in control, but I'm responsible for my actions, my decisions, my words, and my activities. I mean, after all, God is in control. In Proverbs, it says in Proverbs 16 and 9, in their hearts, humans, in their hearts, human, humans plan their course. But God establishes, but the Lord establishes their steps. In Proverbs 20 and 24, a person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand their own way? You see, when we get this truth out of balance in our lives, it is impossible, it is impossible to live in a healthy and vibrant and joyful relationship with God that he intended for us. And some people know exactly what I'm talking about because they've lived through some torment that they created when they tried to take control of their own life that belonged to God. I mean, think about it. Some have experienced the pain of a broken relationship because of their decision. Not God's decision, their decision. Some have been through the torment of addiction or drugs or alcohol that resulted from their decision. Not God's decision. And some have endured the horrible bondage of indebtedness that resulted from their decision. Not God's decision. You see, God tells us plainly, I don't want you to be the slave to the lender. God doesn't want you to be a slave. He doesn't want you to be indebted up to your eyeballs like I've been. That is not God's will for your life, I promise you. It's not God's will. Some, now get this, some have suffered the agonizing shame that resulted from their decision to take control of God's forgiveness. Deciding for themselves, that in spite of Jesus suffering on the cross of Calvary for them, their sin was simply too great. And so they decided that God could not forgive them at all. Think about the people that are living with the agonizing shame and guilt because they feel like their sin is too great. And God makes it clear that he'll forgive us of all of our sins. All of our sins. And one day, some will suffer eternal torment. The torment of hell that will result because their decision to take control of how God saves or how God's way of salvation. It offends them. It offends them that God decides that God decides, and I want you to get it, it offends them that God has decided that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And in their own sense of self-righteousness, or self-righteous control, they have decided they're not going to accept it. You see, we're both invited to and responsible for responsible for living our, in our relationship with God. He created us. He created us. And you and I are invited, and I want you to get this. We're invited, we're responsible to, for receiving the gift of salvation that is given through Jesus Christ by God. And we're responsible for following the guidelines and the principles that God has laid out for us to live. It is important to understand that there is both the invitation and the responsibility. The reason we are responsible for, the, the reason 
Help me, that we're responsible for living in a relationship with God is because that's the way God intended it to be. God decided that the way to go to heaven is through Jesus Christ. God decided that the way for you to live is outlined by his word. God decided, you see, you, you got to understand, God decided God is who he is. I am who I am. I am God. I'm the self-existence one. I have and I am and I always will be. No matter what you think of me, no matter whether you accept me or not, no matter whether you accept the invitation or not, I want you to know I'm in control. I am God and this is the way it is. And God has given you and I an invitation. A responsibility to believe that. Do you really believe that God is in control? Do you really believe that he is who he says he is? Do you really believe that he is a self-existent one? Do you really believe that your steps are ordered by the Lord? Do you really believe that God has a plan for your life? Do you really believe that God made a way for you to be reconciled to him. Do you believe that? You're responsible, but you're not in control. God is in control. And I think this is an important issue. It's an important fact. It's something that we need to settle in our hearts and our minds that no matter what happens, God is in control. I, you know, I, I have been, I have, I have been, I, I'm going to tell you, my emotions have been up and down the last two weeks. I'm just going to be honest. I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm angry at Putin for what he's doing. I'm angry at our government because I don't feel like our government is responding like I think they should be. Maybe they are. Maybe they are. But, you know, we're still buying Russian oil. We're still, I'm just, I, get, I get angry. I get upset. And my emotions are up and down. So I, I've come to the place that I've decided that Russia's not in charge. My government's not in charge. I'm not in charge. God is in control. I'm responsible for my actions. I'm responsible for my words. I'm responsible for, for, for how I live my life. I'm going to believe, I'm going to choose to believe that my life and my destiny and my future is not in the hands of the nation of Russell or, or Russia or China or North Korea or even in my own government. But that my destiny is in the hands of an almighty God who is planning my life out. And I'm going to tell you from experience that it, there, are, there are things in my life that if I had control, I would not have done. I would not have gone there. I would not allow that to be a part of my life. But God decided, Randy, I want you to know me. I want you to understand. I want you to know that I am the God of comfort. I want you to know that I'm the God of all creation. I want you to know that I'm your healer. I want you to know in the midst of, uh, of chaos that I am your refuge and strength. And in order for you to know that, I'm going to have to allow you, allow you to go through some things in life so you can discover that I am who I am. And I'm going to tell you, there's some things that I have been through in life that I did not enjoy, I did not like, but now looking back, I'm in front of them, and looking back at my life, I can tell you, God directed and ordered my step, that God was in control even when I thought he wasn't in control, that God was directing my life, he had a purpose, he had a plan, he had a destination for me, and I'm telling you, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that I wasn't in control, but that my God who is and was and is to come is in control of my life and still in control of my life. And you say, well, what does that mean for me? It means a peace of mind that passeth all understanding. You see, as I watched the news this week, I could, see, I could, I could feel my temperature rising. I'll just be honest. I could feel my temperature rising. I just get... But then when I begin to refocus and get it off the news and get it on God and who he is... 
and who I am in relationship to him, that I'm his child. He's my father. He's my daddy. He's my provider. He's my healer. He's whatever I need in my life. I discover something about who he is. So I know that in your own personal life, you've had those battles. You've had those things that you've gone through in life. But I want you to know that you need to establish that God is I am who I am. He is. He doesn't need you to approve. And because he is who he is, he can make the decisions that he's made. And the way that he's chosen for you and I to come to salvation is through the person of Jesus Christ. He didn't choose another way. He didn't choose another means. He didn't choose another God. He didn't choose another man. He chose Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, who sent, who he sent to earth to become a man, to die on a cross so that you and I could have eternal life and a relationship with him be reconciled. God decided that. I didn't. I would have probably did it a different way. But God is in control. So he made the choice, this is how I'm going to do it. Now you can be responsible and receive the invitation or you can choose not to. That choice is yours. But you're responsible for the choice that you make. But I want you to know I'm in control. I'm in charge. And, and I look at what's going on in the world. And, and, you know, the Bible makes it clear that God raises up leaders and brings leaders down. That God raises up nations and brings nations down. That God is in control. If you go back to Daniel and you go back to Ezekiel and you see Daniel getting the vision that he gets and he, and he talks about the rise of the kingdoms and the collapse and the falls of the kingdoms. He, he, he prophesied about the Roman Empire. He prophesied about all these things. And I'm gonna tell you, you go to Revelation, you go to Revelation and John gets a vision of heaven. He gets a glorious scene of what's going on in heaven and, and, and all that stuff. And then God begins to give him a revelation. Let me tell you what's gonna happen. Let me tell you what's gonna happen. And this is what happened in the past and he and he talks about the bear and the lion which represents some other empires that have come and gone and then he talks about the the next empire which is today the 10 european nation uh kingdoms the 10 kings of the european 10, 10 union the european union is what he's talking about and he talks about that in revelation and you see i see that today i see it god's in control God's in control, so why should I fear? And there's going to be a dictator. There's going to be an antichrist that comes out of the 10 European nations that's going to rule the world seven years before Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom here. You see, God is in control. Russia's not. China's not. Even the United States is not. God is in control. God is in control. Well, I got more, but I got to quit. So let me ask you this question. Where are you today? What part of your life are you trying to, control, trying to control instead of letting God control? What sin are you holding on to? What addiction are you unwilling to let go of? What person have you chosen not to forgive? What, are the, what part of the Bible are you wanting to accept and what part are you willing, unwilling to accept because you just don't agree with it? That's amazing. If you believe the word of God is infallible, and I do, I believe God's word is infallible. And if it's infallible, then I have to accept it all. But we're living in a generation, we're living in a time that people don't believe the word's infallible. They, don't, they believe that God's word has error in it. I don't believe there's any error in the word of God. I don't. So if I don't believe there's any error, am I willing to accept the Scripture, the Word of God, rightly dividing it, 
taking it in its proper context and living by its guidelines? I mean, really. Let me ask you. What joy have you denied yourself because you didn't allow God to give you the opportunity, didn't allow God the opportunity to give it to you? I could go on and on and on and talk about all these things. But I want to close with this. Derek, come on. I want you to, today to take a big first step toward God. For some of you, it will, it will mean believing that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And being willing to accept him for the very first time as your savior. Because that's the way God intended for you and I to have salvation. Listen, you're not going to get saved through your good works. You're not going to get saved because you give so much money. You're not going to get saved because you live this kind of lifestyle. You're going to get saved because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and accept him as your personal savior. And that's the only way to salvation. Are you willing to do that? Some of you are in a place that you've accepted Christ, but yet you're still walking in disobedience. And you're going to have to make a decision. I'm going to choose today to be responsible to walk in obedience to God. To lay aside that sin or that addiction or whatever it is, I'm going to lay it aside and allow God to empower me to be what he wants me to be. The decision is yours. And I want you to share the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the I am's. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am, I am. And Jesus goes on and talks about all the I am's that he is. I am the resurrection and the life. And I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to be talking about those things. But I want you to understand that the foundation of this is to believe that he is. That God is. That God is who he says he is. And if you need forgiveness, God is your salvation. If you need to be empowered, God is your empowerment. That if you need a refuge, if you need a place that you can have peace, that God is your refuge and strength. I'm telling you, if you need, if, if you need peace in, in your marriage, in your home, in your, in your life, if you need peace, then God is the Jehovah Shalom. That God is your peace. Whatever it is. If you need a friend, that God is your friend that's sticking closer than a brother. That if you just, whatever it is that you need, that God is. Because your need is unique. Your need is different from my need. It's different from somebody else's need. If you need, I'm telling you, if you need a financial blessing, you need something from God that, that's a finance, God is your provider. If you need healing, God is your healer. Whatever it is, is unique to you. He says, I am who I am. I'm the self-existent one. And whatever you need, I am what you need in your life. Would you stand? Father, today I know this message has been different. I know there's been a lot of reading, God, a lot of sharing. But God, I pray, I pray that somehow and some way by your Holy Spirit that you would impress upon our hearts and our minds that you are who you say you are. That you always have been, you always will be. And God, that you are who you are right now in our lives. I know, God, that a lot of us are focused on what's going on in the world price of gas and price of food and the price of all these other things I know we're aware of what's going on in our world today God but God I believe with all my mind and all my heart that you are who you say you are that you are the I am and that you are the self-existent one that you are in control I am not God I pray today would you speak to our hearts God, I want this truth to get embedded into our hearts and our minds that you are, you are, you are, you are the one and only God. And that you've given us an invitation to believe that, 
accept you and to live by your guidelines so that we can have a life that's successful, a life that has a future, a life that has hope where there is no hope in the world. God, speak to us today. Help me, help us to be willing to say, I need you. I want you because you're everything that I need in my life. Speak to our hearts today. I ask it in your name, Jesus. This altar's open. I don't know where you may be at. I don't know what your need may be, but God does, and you do. And I want to challenge you today to accept the invitation from God to let Him be your I Am. Whatever it is you need, if it's salvation, God is here. If it's eternal life, God is here. If it's a way out, God is here. Whatever it is you need, God is here. If you'll just accept the invitation today. Would you play? Would you worship with Derek? Worship God with Derek. This altar's open. The reign of darkness now is ended. In the kingdom of light. In the kingdom of light. Forever under your dominion. You're the king of my life. You're the king of my life. You reign above it all. You reign above it all. Over the universe and over every heart. There is no higher name. Jesus, you Thanks for listening to the St. Mary's Church Podcast. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today or have more questions about following Jesus, we have pastors who want to talk with you. Connect with us at stmaryschurch.net or through social media on Facebook or Instagram. We can't wait to hear what Jesus is doing in you. Thank you.